0: From Red Kite Prayer. This is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co host, Celine Yeager, aka the fit chick from Bicycling Magazine. Each week, we take a different look at facets of how cycling fits into our lives. How goes this, Celine?
1: It is going very well. How are you? Dad? I'm
0: doing just fine. Had a fun time at the 4th of July. We had uh, fireworks here in town yesterday. Took the boys out to that. And our five-year-old, I think it was the first time that he re- ever really appreciated, oh, things blowing up and glowing in cool colors. Uh, so right, his right. his mouth was basically one big O for about two hours. <laughs> oh,
1: that's <laughs> exciting. That is super exciting. We uh, I did a... Big ride. I'll actually talk about it in a little bit with my poll, but we did. A, we went to down to Philadelphia, which is you know very patriotic yeah. thing to do, and uh, yeah, I had a really good time in the city. So it was a, it was a good Neat. day.
0: So well, you're up first today. Tell us about this ride. Okay.
1: Well, I will. I will in a second. Because, <laughs> but I don't know what the weather. <laughs> <laughs> because the ride is the highlight and there's some low lights in the story. Um I, I wanted to talk a little bit about heat and riding in the heat because oh boy. Here on the East Coast, I don't know what it's like where you are, but we are having a heat wave of a heat wave. Um the temperatures have been easily, you know, ninety six to ninety eight degrees. Humidity is a hundred percent, like you've just stepped out of the sho- yeah, like you've just stepped out of the shower. I mean, it's literally like walking into a sauna, um, you know. And t- those things together put the real feel at a like a hundred six yeah. degrees. So it's it's East Coast hot, which you know they they talk about that dry heat stuff, but I'm telling you what, like humidity is is a much different animal. Yeah. Um, so I usually do okay in the heat, and uh, sometimes I actually enjoy the heat. Like, it's a nice compliment. We also get very cold weather here, so I enjoy it. Um, But these past, you know, five days have been a tale of two heat rides for me. Um, And one has a decidedly happier outcome than the other, you know? So I I think I would like to start with the one that did not have a a happier (laughs) outcome. Um, It's funny. It's, you know, I did... It was a a mountain bike ride with a friend, a very simple ride locally. And, you know, Patrick, I did so many things wrong. You think I would have been new to the sport. You know, like, um, you know, it started the night before my brother and his family came over and we had a nice fire in the backyard and I probably drank a couple more beers more than I should and a few waters less than I should. Um, You know, so I woke up, I didn't feel like hungover, but I was probably a little not hydrated (laughs) Mm -hmm. properly right? Um, So, you know, I did what I could to hydrate. We weren't riding until nine, you know, so I had some some hydration. I had my breakfast. And then I had the capacity to take um, two bottles on this ride, which, you know, is not that big of a deal. I thought, like, I'll drink one on the way over to the trailhead, and I'll drink one during our ride, and it'll be fine. Um, So I filled my polar bottles. I Put plain water in one, and then I put—and this is where the mistake comes in—I put a, a high carbohydrate drink in the other one, like oh. a you know a two hundred fifty, three hundred calorie bottle, because I'm like, oh, we'll get some carbs while I, you know, while I also have my my uh-huh. cold drink, and I won't have to carry food, and you know, I know better six ways till Sunday, but this is, <laughs> this is what I did. Um, so yeah, I drained the. The first water bottle on the ride over to the trail, which was like a half hour. It's it's wow. it's nothing. It's just road. Yeah, because it was already it was already kind of hot. So I got to the ride. So I just had my one, carb bottle with me, and I was like, eh, I'm only gonna be riding an hour, so an hour and a half, it'll I'll be fine. You know, and I think this is a product of doing these big giant 200 mile rides so far flung, <laughs> right? That right. I forget that you actually have to take care of yourself, like when you're doing yeah, it's, back it's,
0: only, on the rides. it's only it's um, only yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's only, it's only whatever. It's 106 degrees. It's only whatever. Um, but the place we were riding is one of the hardest trail systems around. Um, for anyone that came out to nationals a few years back, it's similar to Bear Creek in Pennsylvania in that it's endless rocks. Um, the rocks are the trail, <laughs> you know, and you have to sort of muscle and manipulate your way through them. There's a lot of relatively short but very steep uh-huh. climbing. And though you're in the woods and it's pretty shady, there's zero airflow. So you are just soaked like you're out of a swimming pool kind of the entire time. So needless to say, I chugged a bunch of that high-calorie bottle um, pretty early on in that ride, and my stomach began to uh, to flip. You know, it, be- it began to, to not cooperate with me. Yeah, so... I was like, "Oh, okay. I'll, I'll just sip. I'll take smaller sips." And you know, along the way, I was effectively dehydrating myself. Right. And this is something. This is something that I'm. I think is important to bring up because I'm not sure a lot of people realize that you can do that with, um, you know, with fluid that you can actually dehydrate yourself while you drink. Yeah. Right. So I mean, it seems antithetical. Um, yes, but but because the solution that I was drinking was what is called hypertonic in that the, it has, it's more dense than your body fluids or your bloodstream. When it goes into your gut from your stomach, your body actually can't do anything with it until it pulls water fl- from your body into your intestines yep. to help dilute it. So it can travel out of your gut. So when you are I'm sweating buckets out this way, I'm hot as blazes, and now I'm telling my gut, please pull water into whatever water you have left, please pull it into us so we can like hydrate you. Um, yeah, so I went from you don't know any of this is happening until it happens, right? right? like so I went from feeling mostly like, eh, okay, it's a little hot to I had to crawl like the lights started going out. I got chilly, which is always a good sign when it's Bonus, 100 degrees, yeah. right. It's yeah, so yeah. much more comfortable. Um, I'm like, I think I could use a sweater, <laughs> right? It's, it's fine. So I, I had to, like, crawl so slowly up this last climb that adding insult to injury my Wahoo element kept cutting out and telling me it was autopause. <laughs> because
0: you are going so slow.
1: Right, because it was like I wasn't moving. See, for moving. some of
0: us, that's a daily I'm like, occurrence.
1: <laughs> I'm like, I'm still going forward. So, you know, thankfully I got to the top and my friend had extra plain water, Um and I made it out, but, you know, I, I made the same mistake literally in Africa where it's Africa hot at the Cape Epic like eight years ago um, with a whole camelbacks filled of that, oh. which turned my gut into a Maltov cocktail. I must have drank 900 calories in like an hour. <laughs> so I relearned that lesson. And then, on a more positive note, the ride I was just talking about, I went to Philly yesterday, it's still, its the, this heat is supposed to break, it's not breaking, but I had two polar bottles with noon hydration in them, mm-hmm. which is hypotonic, meaning that it gets pulled out of your um, gut very quickly, because it's less dense than your body fluids, um, and the the ride was delightful. I had power, I had hydration, it was ice cold, and... You know i we rode six hours and lots of hills, and it was i I felt very redeemed, so I guess that's my story and little lessons we learned, so maybe others don't have to learn them <laughs> and I was wondering if uh if you had any uh stories or experiences, I know California heat is different, you know whatever, but wondering if you have similar you're from that you know the east coast i mean yeah. you you hail from yeah. these, oh, these yeah. parts
0: yeah, uh seven years in Massachusetts uh some years in memphis as a cyclist before i moved away so yeah Uh, memphis is so hot my my kind of classic story uh about memphis heat was i was working at this bike shop the peddler and the front door of our bike shop was i don't know 30 feet from the door to my car And one day Mm -hmm. during the summer, this is it's a July day and it's my turn to go pick up lunch uh, for the guys in the shop. There were three of us. And I hit the door. And by the time I had my key in the tumbler of my car door, because this is a 1974 Grand Torino, because it's the 1990s, (laughs) right? Key into the car door. By the time I had that key in the door, I was already sweating.
1: Yep. You know. Yep. I I have no trouble believing that. And I, I think I've told you the story.
0: Yeah. You know, it's it's the summer of 1988, I want to say, maybe 89. And uh the latest issue of bicycling magazine shows up at the shop and we flip it open and there's something about, you know, tips for riding when it's hot. Um <laughs> and uh you know, we were all At that point, relatively new to cycling, only a couple years in, so I mean, any any piece of information from anybody, uh, we're going to devour, and you know, normally we're going to take all of it as just absolute uh, gospel. And we flipped this thing open, and there was something from an exercise physiologist saying, well, basically, if it's above about 90 degrees and, uh, I don't know, 80% humidity, something like that, you really probably shouldn't be exercising outside. And we fell on the floor laughing because it's like, well, that eliminates uh, June and July and July. August. and
1: Sometimes September.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, days in April. Yeah. I, you know, the... Yeah. The thing for me was uh, my worst hot weather riding experience ever was actually here in California and it was dry heat and Hmm. I was doing a crit and at the start of the crit, it was a hundred and four.
1: That is like being in a convection. Yeah. I mean, yeah,
0: you know, the only hope was to go faster. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just to get yeah,
0: convective cl- cooling. It'll be over sooner, right? Well, actually, no. Right, it right, wasn't right. going to be over any sooner because it was
1: no because of so many laps. So it was, right? well, was
0: forty five minutes plus three laps. the The forty five minutes oh, had to goodness. tick down one way or right, another. So, so you, <laughs>
1: right, right, of course. Well, oh, my god. So
0: we get a third of the way into the race, and I haven't touched my bottle for a little while because it's it's we're constantly jockeying for position. I reach down on the hill, pull out the bottle. It's warm to the touch. I'm like, oh, that's not good. Open <laughs> my mouth, squirt the fluid in, and proceeded to burn my throat.
1: Oh, my goodness. I,
0: I mean, wow. it had to be whatever was in there. And this was a clear bottle. It's not like I had a black bottle that had been heated up by the sun extra. It was a clear bottle because I knew, oh, well, we don't, you know, we don't want to make it any hotter than it's going to naturally get on its own. Right. The fluid had to be 130 degrees, at least. It scalded my throat. That is unbelievable. I, the The funny thing is I I blew the race. I ended up ninth. I almost won the race. I almost won the race. And the only reason I didn't win the race was because of a lack of confidence. the The... I got away from the pack and they caught me in one turn. And if I would even though I was blown, if I just stayed on the gas, I would have gotten it because I went from first to like next to last to ninth in half a lap. And it's like, Oh my God, you really did. You really were that strong. Um, so in some ways, that's like my worst, uh, worst race performance ever because all it was was a, a lack of confidence. Somehow, I was still breathing. Now, after the race was over, I was unable to speak. I was unable to speak for almost three days. It was just a whisper because my wow. my throat was because burned. You burnt your throat. Yeah. Um, so that's that's my worst. Uh, you know, yeah. Dealings with cycling in the heat. Uh, though there have been yeah so many times. You know, you walk out the door and you think. You know, I could just go to the movies. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, you you bring yep. up a really, uh, you know, as as we like to say, this is a teachable moment because it really illustrates the point behind products like Scratch Labs and Osmo and the yes. reformulated uh, Cliff Drink. How mm-hmm. you know they're <clears throat> the. Uh, Big piece of the science there is the osmolality, how quickly those fluids Huge. are taken into your body. Um,
1: and that's why a, a product like goo, I mean, they have Roctane yep. and they have the Goo Brew. They have things for, you know, that they serve different purposes. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And you, and you need to pay attention to that. Right. Yeah. And- you can get away with anything when it's 65 degrees and you're doing nothing, right? Yeah. But like when you when you start to go to the extremes, it, it becomes important that you pay attention. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I, I think that's, you know, you've illustrated perfectly. And partly this, you know, the story works because you understand exactly what was happening in your body. Uh,
1: but if I didn't, <laughs> I would, well, you know, I'm not sure I could. Right. You might make know. the mistake yeah. again. Um yes. <laughs> At least at least before eight years later.
0: You know, I'm, I, it's fine. But yeah, I mean, that's one of those things. You put a big, thick, heavy drink. And a lot of us have an instinctive feel for this that, you know, oh, it's hot. I don't want something heavy like this. I need something lighter. And so our body's talking to us, but we may not entirely understand the whys and the whats and the wherefores. And, you yeah. know, it's it's that kind of magic 3% number of, you know, sugar and salt. And if, you know, at at a 3% solution, nothing's getting into your body faster than that. Um, yep. And if you're any higher than that, then yeah, your body's pulling water out uh, of tissues and into your stomach to help make it work.
1: Water you may not have.
0: Yeah. Uh, I've got a friend yeah. who... Right. You know, this would have been like 20 years ago when gels were still really new. No. Mm-hmm. And he was at a mountain bike race and uh <clears throat> he'd been given a bunch of gels and he looked at a friend who's like, I don't know. How do I how do I do these with a drink? You know, and he's like, oh, no, no. All you have to do is gels. You don't have to do anything oh, else. Oh, boy. You know, I'm oh, just just do the gels. And he's like, yeah. Whoa, that's terrible advice. And so he he took a bottle with him. He did take a bottle with him. You know, you got the you got the cage there on the frame. Why wouldn't you put a bottle in there? So he put a bottle in there and he took like seven gels. And uh, and he did the gels through the race. You know, it's like a three hour mountain bike race. He's expert level. Seven still though. Yeah, yeah. Um and he got violently ill, but only from one end, and that end was below his waist <laughs> um oh that's terrible. yeah so another really illustrative uh story <laughs> um you know i i think i tend to fail earlier than a lot of people so my stories generally aren't that magical
1: <laughs> that's good that's good mad yeah yeah L- less magic more better for the rise i think
0: <laughs> yeah so anyway <laughs> um wow well i'm glad that you know you were able to have a, a another good ride right afterward and, and redeem yourself uh to yourself
1: <laughs> thank you
0: yeah oh uh, okay well so last week my pick was uh this new book on greg LeMond's win at the 89 tour de france called the comeback by daniel de vizet well Earlier this week, I had a call with him in which I got to interview him. So rather than tell you what I'm going to tell you, let's just jump into the interview. Well, Daniel Davis, a., thank you for joining us on The Pace Line. How are you doing?
2: I'm fine, and it's my pleasure, and thank you very, very much for having me.
0: I, You know, the moment I learned about the book, I couldn't wait to have you on. Even beyond just, oh, I can't wait to read this thing, was this... Oh, this guy's got to be really interesting. I can't wait to talk to him. Let's start with some basics. Would you describe for our listeners the arc of your book? It announces that it's about Lamont's comeback at the 89 Tour de France, <laughs> but it does a little more than that, wouldn't you say?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, this gets to where, you know, when you're trying to write a book, um, I guess if, especially a work of narrative nonfiction, which would be like Seabiscuit or The Boys in the Boat, Mm -hmm. You're just looking for a really good story. I mean, that's the goal. And uh, your listeners who are familiar with Greg Lamond will know most of this, but other people won't be. And the man had such just phenomenal ups and downs, uh, you know, setback upon setback and uh, just these amazing hurdles to traverse. And so the the arc of the book, you know, starts with our, our guy, Greg an American in this fringe sport that's barely a sport, uh, thinking he wants to go over to Europe and become a top professional cyclist at a time when nobody's really done that. You've got your George Mount and your Mike Neals and your Jacques Boyers, but really it's not been conquered by the Americans and Greg thinks he's going to do that. And so the first kind of act of the book leads us to Paris with Greg and Bernard Hinault and Greg winning the first Tour de France, Tour de France for the Americans. And and then this, you know, I guess act two, if if this were a play, uh, he's getting ready to defend his title and he gets shot and he almost dies. And so that's that that's scene one is this a horrific day on which he nearly bleeds to death. Yeah. And then the second act becomes him just clawing and grinding his way back first to just walking again and then to being healthy and then to being at the level of like me like a a bad recreational cyclist and then to the level of a competitor and then to the level where he's entering races and then to where he's winning races again which is literally like days before the the tour yeah. in 89 and then the this so this the second act climaxes with this just insanely close contest between the two diminished champions in one corner you have greg Lamond in the other laurent fignon who's also a diminished diminished champion he'd won the tour twice only to succumb to a tendon injury and to be sort of in the weeds for longer than lemond was actually but yeah. the the miracle of the 89 tour and why it's so special is that both of them came back at the same moment and neither was quite as strong as he had been you know at his peak but both were strong enough, and, and, and it was anyone's guess who was going to win. And then, well, that, that race happens, and it's spellbinding. It it occupies a few chapters of the book right at the center. That's kind of the climax, and then we know who wins and how close it is. So, but then there's more because Greg's life is just phenomenally busy and phenomenally suspenseful all the way through because what happens then, he wins another tour, which is almost ho-hum by comparison to 89, so that's, that's three then. Yep. And then he begins to decline. He falls into decline, and so does uh, Fignon. And I, ex- in the book, we explore why, what's happening, why is everybody else suddenly riding faster, and it sort of comes to pass. We come to learn that uh, this this miracle brew has sort of s- suffused the peloton, and and our our heroes are not taking it, and so. They are, they're seeing dwindling results. And finally, both of our heroes, Le Mans and Fignon retire. Now that ought to be the end, right? Uh, that ought to be the end of the book. <laughs> <You'd> because <think. laughs> what Fignon does after that is he, he gets into the sport as a manager. He runs, uh, I think is a Paris He runs, I can't remember which race, uh, but he runs a, a very yep. prominent race for a while. And then he opens a, a Centre. Fignon. I'm, my French is terrible, um, you know, and he and he and very very tragically he dies prematurely, but in Greg's case, there's a whole other act yet to tell because, right after he sort of faded into the you know sort of John Wayne landscape, you know, Washoe Valley, uh, you know, right after all that happens, uh, suddenly um, Armstrong appears, and the two of them have this epic sort of feud. Uh, that goes on for a dozen years and again, your listeners know most of this but it, yeah. I, t- I, re- I retell that whole story from Greg's perspective uh, from the beginning when I, I firmly believe that Greg really was wishing Lance well wishing him success, rooting for him and, and really appreciating the parallels between the two of them and their careers and their comebacks because both of them came back <laughs> uh, yeah. all the way through to where they're, they're mortal enemies and fighting and, and Greg is ostracized and exiled and, and there's a horrible, horrible thing that he goes through to the end when he's vindicated and 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 you you guys the cycling world embrace him anew as the sort of once in future king of cycling <laughs> in the states and but but where where I draw the line and connect the dots is to the rest of the country I hope I reach some of the other people who don't know this and still don't realize that LeMond is again sort of the great icon of our of the sport in America and that's kind of where the book ends
0: Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. Why was this packaged as a book about the 89 tour rather than um, uh, a larger biographic study of Le Mans? I mean, I I get that the book, the book as it is, uh, with a a really thorough investigation of Fionn's background, you know, it does some things that a, a biography of Le Mans would not do. But Clearly, you did all the research necessary to write just a straight-up biography of Greg Lamont. Why did you choose to package it this way?
2: Um, You know, I'm trying to be all about suspense and all about building suspense and then resolving the suspense, resolving the conflict with the hero overcoming whatever adversity he faces. And I I thought the narrative nonfiction route would be a lot more suspenseful, a lot more dramatic, a lot more interesting than than a straight biography. So the book is kind of two things. It is – I mean it, it it's – I think, I hope it succeeds as a bio of Le Monde and, and as Richard Moore pointed out, kind of the first book to bring us all the way up to the present day with Le Monde's life. Yeah. But it's also, to a lesser extent, a bio of Fignon and uh, I think Leonard Zinn, when he reviewed the book for the Wall Street Journal, pointed out that he learned he felt he learned more about Fignon than he did about Le Mans, And that's saying something because, you know, Le Mans bio, if you will, occupies probably half to two thirds of the of the of the book. Um, but the, in the final analysis, I thought that the whole play would be the whole teleplay, if you will, would be just a lot more exciting if the thing pivoted on this one race. That was the high point of Le Mans career. I think the high point of his life, probably the high point or something of Fignon's life. I don't know how Laurent Fignon would characterize that day, the day of that time trial, but certainly the most dramatic day in his life. And I wanted that. I knew all along I wanted that to be the centerpiece of the book. So the book focuses, dwells, pivots on that great 89 tour uh, in the same sense that other narrative nonfiction books pivot on really cataclysmic or climactic events i'm right now reading a wonderful book about the uh the, you know the the what's it called the what's that era what um oh the dust bowl excuse me i'm reading oh. it like i was reading it this morning but i forgot the dust bowl and there's kind of this clim- i'm reading this climactic chapter which is about the one day called black sunday when the wo- the, the sort of mother of all dust storms swept through the plains and you know so the, that book about the Dust Bowl tells the whole story of the Dust Bowl, but it kind of has dramatic rises and falls. I was just trying to do that to make the story as dramatic as I possibly could. And, and in order to make all those parts work, you need to have more than just Greg LeMond's story in there. You need to have Fignon. You need to have Lance Armstrong and know who he is. You need to have uh, Bernard Hinault and know a little bit about him. Yeah. Uh, all of his kind of foils at different times need to be – rendered in three dimensions, especially Fignon, but also the other folks and then his friends too. So I, I told Greg at the outset, I'm like, dude, you'll tell, you'll do your memoir someday and it'll be wonderful, but you don't want to go around interviewing 5,000 different people, you know, and that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I tried to do.
0: (laughs) By all indications you did. Um, Yeah. Fascinating. And, you know, certainly, you know, from my experience reading the book, uh, yeah, you, you did get the drama and, you know, I, I get that. To try to um bring a sense of drama uh to a story, you know you 've got to make everybody care about all of the characters, not just one of them um and you know i 'd agree with Leonard, you know so much has been written about Lamond in this country um there were fewer surprises in some ways, certainly there were some details that were just. Uh, you know, really uh, mind blowing. Um, you know, like the fact that when they got married, when uh, Greg and Kathy got married, they'd only been each- in each other's company sixteen times. It's Like, <laughs> what? Uh, what? Um, you know, and so yeah, things like that were certainly news and um, added a, you know an interesting additional color um, to something I already thought I knew a fair amount about. Uh, well, Daniel, thank you so much for this time. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I look forward to, well, finishing the book. I'm almost there, not quite. And, uh, I look forward to hearing you talk about it soon. We will, uh, include a link to the calendar of your stops, uh, from our show notes.
2: Oh, awesome. That'd be great.
0: How familiar are you with LeMond's story, Celine? Were you following cycling back in that era of big hair and shoulder pads?
1: <laughs> Funny, um, I am. I am much more familiar with Le Mans story now. Um, you know, I really, I really didn't follow uh, cycling so much back then. I was, I was pretty young, and we didn't really have TV and my parents knew nothing of cycling and my peers knew nothing of cycling um so even though i rode my bike and was super into uh the activity of cycling i didn't uh-huh. i didn't become aware that people actually did this thing you know until quite a bit later in my life until after i graduated high school honestly um you know so then then later I fell into this crowd and and became indoctrinated, you know, with the uh the whole story. <laughs> and then
0: helped lead the way. Yes,
1: yes, and and, and you know, it's the whole the, the the shotgun pellets and the the comeback and the 8 seconds and all, of it. I mean it's it's uh you know, it's interesting that story I think got so um crowded out, you know, during the era that followed. And yeah. Uh it's 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 really refreshing to see it coming back.
0: Yeah, I was, you know, when the battle royal between Armstrong and Lamont was going, I was really bummed because it was hard to see how Lamont was ever going to benefit from what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And I remember even saying, you know, look, I, he may be right about 100% of this. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, you know, it's not like I thought Armstrong was clean. Uh, But, you know, he was making some fairly specific assertions here and there uh, about the science that demonstrated, oh, he can't possibly be clean. And so, you know, my attitude was, well, yeah, he might be right. Uh, But the problem is he's not part of the enforcement apparatus of the UCI. Now, the UCI ought to make a working group and have him be an expert advisor to it, but Having him just haul off and talk that way, you know, it was it was not really helpful. And so it really, that stuff really bummed me out. Um, but, you know, in terms of any time you get Lamont talking about the physiology mm-hmm. of bike racers and what the human body can do and, you know, looking at, you know, I mean, because he was the first guy out there using a power meter. Yeah. Uh his knowledge about that stuff is you know you you get little glimpses of it here and there in interviews. I think he's a real untapped well that way. Mm-hmm. Um I would love to see him interviewed in depth by someone you know much more like you than me, someone who really understands physiology, you know, backward, forward, sideways, because his insight into how to intelligently train and what's possible and, you know, kind of reasonable expectations, given your, your training, um, dude could be a coach. Oh yeah. Dude could be an all time coach. Uh, and it's kind of a a shame that, you know, we don't, we don't have him still in cycling, you know, in a capacity along those lines, even serving as an advisor to SRM or Mm power tap or somebody come on. so
1: (laughs) yeah it's Um, we hmm, there's so much to unpack there we can just yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so anyway so you know this this is one little interview and i had to be careful to kind of keep it within the confines of what we need for this show but i did another longer interview with daniel Uh, for my show, The Pull. And so both those are going up, you know, within a couple of hours of of each other. So by the time people are listening to this, they should probably also be able to hear that episode of The Pull. He's a really fascinating guy. Uh, His work on this book is really impressive. You know, I look at all the footnotes and I think about You know, not just doing the research, but also, you know, once you've done the research and done the interviews, then the documenting of it, you know, formatting all the footnotes and whatnot. And he probably had some help here and there. But, oh, my gosh, what an exhaustive piece of work he did. Yeah, it's a lot of Um, reporting.
1: That's a lot of reporting. Very careful
0: reporting. Yeah, yeah. and so when I when I get him seated for a beer next week, there are a couple of shall we say off the record questions I have for him that I want to see if anybody talked hmm. about uh, in in all his reporting so uh, don't know if I'll be able to report back <laughs> on any of that but I am very interested. Uh, it's funny in, in listening back to the interviews that I've done with him now, uh, and trying to, you know, prep them for the shows. I say curious a whole lot. Huh. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and own that one.
1: <laughs> well, you're curious. That's okay. It's a, it's a good quality.
0: Guilty as charged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All righty. Let's move on to the paceline picks. Uh, why don't you go first?
1: What do you I have? I am just going to keep rolling with my heat wave theme, um, Yeah, because it's working for me so well. Uh, Seriously, I'm going to go with an old product, but I think a really solid product, is the Polar Insulated Bottles. Um, You know, I have a few insulated bike bottles, but those Polar Bottles are amazing. I put ice in them. I put my drinks in them. And even though it was 98 degrees in Philadelphia yesterday, I still had water, like, with ice in the bottom. You could hear the, the ice slushing around, like... What when I was going to refill my bottles, you know? So it was super impressive, and having they're 100% BPA free too. I'd like to say that, but I think um, okay. a lot of people also don't know a little educational lesson that drinking super icy drinks is a particularly good for you when it's hot like that because you create a heat sink in your body, which can draw the heat in and keeps your core cooler. Which, you know, once you're cool, your core is too hot, you're just shutting down. So if you can keep that nice and cool with cool drinks, that's all the studies on, like, the ice slurries that they have some people drink before competitions in the heat. And uh, it's, uh-huh. it's, it actually helps to keep your power up when it's hot. So thumbs up to those polar bottles because you don't have to choke down or burn your throat uh, with <laughs> with water that has become, you know, unpalatable or worse. And, you know, they only cost about 10 yeah. bucks each and they last for years. I've, I've run mine through the dishwasher I've I abuse them and they are still perfect. So that's my pick.
0: So let me ask you, I mean, cause I, I figure that there are other people out there like me, I've got some of the Camelback insulated mm-hmm. bottles and I have some of the specialized insulated mm-hmm. bottles. Um, do you have those, and have you used those alongside Polar? And are the Polar bottles actually better at keeping stuff cool? I than had those? one of
1: each on my bike. I had a Camelback and I had a Polar on my bike yesterday, and they both worked. I will say that, but the Polar one was a little bit better. It kept I, and I could only tell you that because I still had ice, like in the Camelback okay. bottle. I didn't. The water was still uh-huh. very cold, um, but it didn't retain the actual ice. As long as the Polaroid okay. did, so that was my very unscientific study. But the, you know, over a course of six hour ride, six and a half hour ride, I, I I conducted that one, and that was my.
0: Well, but if if you put ice in both of them at the same time, and one had ice and the other yes. didn't, that's reasonably objective. Fair.
1: <laughs> so that's what that's okay. Good but to I know. Do, I have to say, in Camelbacks, I like their uh, I like their lid better. I like the open clothes, Like I felt like I could get the polar mm-hmm. bottle. The lid is not the, the actual drinking part. The nozzle is not awesome. Like I love the big yeah. drinks of water I could get out of the Camelback one. So I might take the lid mm-hmm. from the Camelback and put it on the polar. But there you have it.
0: Yeah, I tossed the only Polar bottle I had because the bottle itself was so thick that it only held, like, even though it was the size of a large bottle, I think it only held 20 ounces yeah, of fluid. Yeah, this is a
1: 24 uh, that I have, and it, I think it legitimately holds about that much.
0: Okay, okay, cool. Well, I may have to take a look They're at that. They're very tall. Though. Alrighty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, uh, my bikes are big, so i know Mine are not, know. that can be a problem, but anyway... <laughs> I could I could see that yeah alrighty, well hey since my trip to Sun Valley for Crank Tank I've been wearing this pair of baggies from Seven Mesh called the Glide Path Uh, I'm wearing a slight revision of these shorts uh, from which you know people will see on their website Um, the shorts have been out for a little while and for whatever reason they've they've made a slight change I. Okay, I don't wear baggies all that often. Uh, I mostly put them on when I know I'm going to be riding with other people who are also going to be wearing baggies. Basically, because I don't want to be the only guy surfing in a Speedo, if you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the reason I don't usually wear baggies is because they rarely, rarely breathe well enough for my taste. I end up staying sweaty, and if I'm staying sweaty, that means I end up with monkey butt. Uh, And I don't like monkey butt. Um, So these glide path uh, shorts, they're super lightweight, very breathable. They even though they're um, uh, it's a knit material, but it's got a little bit of stretch. Uh, It's, you know, uh, not a knit quite like a jersey. It seems a little bit more like a weave, in fact, but it's a very lightweight material Super breathable. Uh, there are two front pockets and then one zippered pocket uh, that's also kind of on the side as opposed to the back. Um, and then uh, there are two, it's got belt loops. I don't know who might wear a I belt. Always with these, but you I always wonder that when I see the
1: belts, but
0: maybe. Yeah. Uh, but there are two waist adjustment mm-hmm. pulls. So, you know, two little pieces of webbing that you can use to <clears throat> snug up the waist. They close with a zipper and a snap. But here's the funny thing. I know that I really like a pair of shorts once I start to wear them out for playing with my kids or running errands or that mm-hmm. sort of thing. If I can just wear them around the house and, you know, I'm comfortable in them, that's when I know they've made that whatever next cut of, of usability. Yep. Uh, and seriously, they are now my favorite baggies for a hot day. Um, they come in five sizes, two colors, and go for $140. Cool. Bucks, uh, and they're from 7Mesh. So I'll have a link up in the show notes. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a wrap for this episode of The Paceline. Line. Um, Celine? What you up to this weekend?
1: Um, I'm hoping that the heat will finally break around here. It, it, it's supposed to at some point. And, you know, pretty low-key uh, weekend around the house. A friend of ours has a farm, and they have a farm party every July. So uh, it's out in the country, so we're going to ride our bikes to the farm party and en- enjoy the hot dogs and hamburgers and all the stuff that they do and then ride our bikes home and... Uh, Probably go see some – most of our fireworks are actually this weekend. We had some storms roll through last night, so some of them got postponed. So, yeah, we'll check Ah. them out Saturday night. That works.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm contemplating an early morning mountain bike ride Saturday. Uh, I'm hoping that will allow me to make this long descent. I've got to make a pretty good climb, and then there would be this long descent to a creek And I'm hoping I can get to the creek just as things get warm, although it shouldn't be insanely hot here. Well, says the guy who hasn't checked the forecast in two days. (laughs) Friends told me this past weekend when we were uh, near that spot that there's a waterfall, actually two different waterfalls, deep back in the Redwood Forest there and the way they were talking about it you'd think that santa claus was sitting there when you got there it was amazing uh, so i want to try to find never been? at least one of the waterfalls hmm. never been and i mean it's the sort of thing where you know even even within our club guys are like uh, I, I don't i don't know if i could show you wow. that wow that's uh, a secret stash <laughs> i hope you find yeah, it yeah uh And it's one of those things where this is land where not just anybody can ride Mm -hmm. there. So you've got to be pretty dedicated. But I want to try to get back there. I figure with the directions I've been given, I should be able to find at least one waterfall, if not two. And then once I do find it, I want to try to figure out a reasonable way to be able to hike in there with my boys on Sunday. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of worked up about that, finding something cool and secret. Okay, before we go, I want to put in a plug for my other new podcast, The Pull. Uh, the show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews. As I like to say, thank Terry Gross for the bike set. Um, this week's guest is our guest from here on the show, Daniel DeVizet. And uh, we'll be talking about uh, his new book, plus other stuff. Finally, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, this is Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.